have a time of worship. Oh, I heard a thousand stories of what I 
to sit at your feet yet again this morning, God, to open up your word, Father. Oh, God, I pray, Father, that we would be attentive to the leading of the Holy Spirit, that, Father, you would search our hearts, oh, God. Father, that you would test our hearts, oh, God, see if there's any wicked way within us, God. 
Let your light expose it, Father, that we may come forth, Lord God, and repent in true repentance, Father, and be restored and made whole. Father, we thank you that you said that peace you leave with us, peace you give us, that peace is wholeness, nothing missing, nothing broken, God. So even in days of uncertainty, God, even in days where, God, Father, things just aren't going the way we plan, Father, we know, God, that we, God, belong to you if we are in Christ. And that no weapon formed against us shall prosper. That, Father, that you can turn around what the enemy has intended to harm for your good, Father. For those who call are called according to your purpose and who love you, Father. Oh, God, I pray today, Lord, as we open up your word, God, that we would fix our eyes upon you, that we would walk out of here changed and not remain as we were when we walked in or when we turned on the feed on Facebook Live. Oh God, we need change in our lives, change in our hearts, God. We need to be more like Jesus, Father. And so Lord, I thank you, God, that you are not done with us. Father, I thank you that what you have begun, you will complete, Father. And so, Lord, we thank you. We praise you. We say, come, Lord Jesus. Have your way among us and in us and through us. In Jesus' name, amen. Galatians 6, verse 7. Do not be misled. The justice of God will not be mocked. What you harvest to, you will... Well, I'm sorry. You will always harvest harvest what you plant. Whatever you're putting your hands to, whatever words you're speaking, whatever thoughts you're giving yourself to, whatever you're sowing to, you will reap. You will always harvest what you plant. You plant destruction, you will harvest destruction. You plant righteousness, you will harvest righteousness. This is the kingdom principle. And I'm encouraging us this year, as I have been, to grow to mature, to not look to the left or look to the right, to not look behind, but look forward. Keep persevering. Your goal is not to be perfect. Your goal is to keep maturing. We're not perfected until we are with Him. But we are no longer to be slaves of sin. No, we are to be slaves to righteousness for His name's sake. I need us to go this morning to Luke chapter 12, verse 35 through 59, and then chapter 13, verse 1 through 5. So Luke chapter 12, verse 35 through 59, and then chapter 13, 1 through 5. Oh, listen to the words of Jesus. Be dressed for service and keep your lamps burning, as though you were waiting for your master to return from the wedding feast. Then you will be ready to open the door and let him in the moment he arrives and knocks. The servants who are ready and waiting for his return will be rewarded. I tell you the truth, he himself will seat them. Put on an apron and serve them as they sit and eat. He may come in the middle of the night or just before dawn, but whenever he comes, he will reward the servants who are ready. Jesus' words. 
Jesus' words. These portions of Scripture talks about for us to be ready for the Lord's coming. No one knows the day or the hour, but we know the signs of the times. And as the church, we need to be prepared. We need to be ready. We need to be in ongoing service unto the Lord. Remember, I keep encouraging us that the Christian life is not just a one-time prayer. No, it's a lifestyle. It's living right. It's living for Christ, not for self. It's the call of a disciple to deny yourself, to pick up your cross, and to follow Him. To relinquish your rights to this life, to no longer be enslaved to sin, to give over to your desires or to your fears, but to submit to God and let Him rule and reign over you and in you and through you. To be ready. At any moment, He can return. He goes on here. Understand this. If a homeowner knew exactly when a burglar was coming, he would not permit his house to be broken into. You also must be ready all the time. For the Son of Man will come when least expected. Peter asked, Lord, is that the illustration just for us or for everyone? And then, and then the Lord replied, A faithful, sensible servant is one to whom the master can give the responsibility of managing other household, his other household servants and feeding them. If the master returns and finds that the servant has done a good job, there will be a reward. I tell you the truth, the master will put the servant in charge of all he owns. But what if the servant thinks, my master won't be back for a while, and he begins beating the other servants, partying and getting drunk? The master will return unannounced and unexpected, and he will cut the servant in pieces and banish him with the unfaithful. And the servant who knows what the master wants, but isn't prepared and doesn't carry out those instructions, will be severely punished. But someone who does not know and then does something wrong will be punished only lightly. When someone who has been given much, much will be required in return. And when someone has been entrusted with much, even more will be required. How are you living? What are you sowing to? What are you planting? What are you harvesting in your life? These are the questions that you must seek the Lord in. You must see the fruit that is being coming forth from your life. Is it pleasing to God? Are you ready for His return? Are you serving faithfully? Are you giving faithfully? Are you loving freely? Are you forgiving quickly? There is a way in which we are to live. There is a way in which we are to live. And as we are living each day, putting our hands to do what is right, thinking upon things that are pure and guarding our heart, not allowing it in, not allowing sin to creep in, to darken us but to continue to expose the fruitless deeds of darkness, dragging it out into the light, not allowing it to have power or rule and reign over your life. Because if you are a Christian, you are in Christ. You're no longer behaving 
You should no longer behave like you used to. And when you see the old man, or when you see the old woman, you need to remind yourself that you have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who is living, but it's Christ living in and through me. There's a new me, because I have been born again. You need to preach yourself happy. You need to get up from your depression, from your enslavement of lust, of your enslavement of gossiping, of backbiting, of stealing, of lying, whatever it is. Get up from it. The Bible says to throw off the sin that so easily entangles you. You would run the race that is set before you. You will be held accountable for your life and the choices that you're making and the fruit that is coming from it. Jesus is alive. He is victorious. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. He's completed. It is finished. And now we wait for His return. And that's how we're to be living day by day by day by day. Being a faithful steward of all that He's entrusted us. Because He's returning. And we don't want to be like those servants who weren't ready. Who were just giving in to everything and anything and not managing wisely what we've been given. Whatever you've been given, if it's been little, if it's been medium-sized, if it's been much, you need to honor what you have so that Christ is honored in your life. He goes on here. Jesus' words. I have come to set the world on fire and I wish it were already burning. I have a terrible baptism of suffering ahead of me and I'm under a heavy burden until it is accomplished. This is Jesus' words. Before He went to the cross, He knew what was set before Him. The baptism of suffering, the crucifixion was ahead of Him. He says, I'm under a heavy burden until it is accomplished. Do you think I have come to bring peace to the earth? No. I have come to divide people against each other. From now on, families will be split apart. Three in favor of me and two against. And two in favor of three against. Father will be divided against son. And son against father. Mother against daughter and daughter against mother. And mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. Then Jesus turned to the crowd and said, When you see clouds beginning to form in the west, you say, Here comes a shower, and you are right. When the south wind blows, you say, Today will be a scorcher, and it is. You fools, you know how to interpret the weather signs of the earth and sky, and you don't know how to interpret the present times. Why can't you decide for yourself what is right? When you are on the way to court with your accuser, try to settle the matter before you get there. Otherwise, your accuser may drag you before the judge who will hand you over to an official who will throw you into prison. And if that happens, you won't be free again until you have paid the very last penny. These are Jesus' words. Do you think He came just to make peace on this earth? No. He knows what He has come to do. 
to deliver mankind from the oppressor. To deliver mankind from the rebellious nature in which all of us were born into. That's why we must be born again of the Spirit. There's a new way to talk. There's a new way to walk. Because there's a new God in control. We're no longer the God of our lives. When we're, when we're bound by sin, the nature in which we were born into, we are rebellious towards the living God. And somehow we conceive in our, in our own hearts that we are little gods. Pleasing ourselves, doing for ourselves, sowing and giving just to benefit ourselves. But oh, when our eyes are open, when we see our need for a Savior, when God is pleased to reveal Himself to us through His Son Jesus, when the Holy Spirit brings conviction, leads us to repentance, reveals the righteousness of God through Jesus Christ, and when He gives us an understanding of the judgment that's coming upon this earth, oh, how our lives change. We've bowed our knees and we've cried out to receive this free gift of salvation because we understand that Jesus didn't come into the world to, to, to condemn the world, but to save the world because the world already stands condemned. The wrath of God is coming. But God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever would believe in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. And Jesus says, Do you think I came just to bring peace to this earth? No, this earth is going to fade away. It will be no more. And the wicked will be no more. He's coming for His people. God's plan all along, and I've said it for many years, and I'll say it until I take my last breath, His plan from the beginning to the end to have a people that He will call His own, and in return they will call Him their God. That they will live for Him and Him alone. You need to die to yourself daily. It's just not a Sunday morning gathering, a Wednesday night gathering, or a Friday night, or a Tuesday morning, or whenever believers get together. That's the only time you're a Christian. No, you are a Christian if you have accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. If you've been born again, it is a lifestyle. From here through eternity, you belong to God. You belong to God. And you're to live for Him. And people are not going to be pleased with that. That's why there will be a division. Remember, the world doesn't accept Jesus. It never will. Christianity will never be popular. It never will. No matter how we try to spin it, no matter how we try to make it look more and more like the world, it will not be popular. Maybe the false gospels will be popular because it itches the ears of people. It, it gives them what they want. But that's not the true gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ will not be accepted by this world. That's why as Christians we are called out of the world. Yet though we are still in it, 
Because we're to bear witness of our God. I'm just going to check this real quick. We're to bear witness of our God, you all. And the Christian life is not a burdensome life. It's not a life based upon rules and laws. No, it's a life based on love. On love. It's what it boils down to. He first loved us and in return we love Him. Love is being displayed through your actions, through your thoughts. Love. It boils down to love. Are you loving Him? Are you loving others? Are you loving yourself? Love. Because if you could do anything and everything else, but you do not love, you have nothing. You just have a form of religion that is worthless. But it's love. Love you all. And so I want to encourage us as you're going through this week, look back at these scriptures and what Jesus is saying here. How are you stewarding what He is giving you, managing what He has given you? Do you understand that His ways are going to cause division? And then if you look in chapter 13, verse 1 through 5, you see the call to repentance. Jesus' words. About this time, Jesus was informed that Pilate had murdered some people from Galilee as they were offering sacrifices at the temple. Jesus' words. Do you think those Galileans were worse sinners than all the other people from Galilee? Jesus asked. Is that why they suffered? Not at all. And you will perish too unless you repent of your sins and turn to God. And what about the 18 people who died when the Tower of Shalom fell on them? Were they the worst sinners in Jerusalem? No, I tell you again that unless you repent, you will perish too. Jesus' words, calling people to repentance. Calling people to repentance. To turn from sin and to turn to God. To truly have a sorrowful grieving reaction to sin. A godly sorrow. And then be led into repentance. Into freedom. That only comes when a heart has been transformed by a living God. Not a God that is still in the tomb and not a God that is still on the cross but a living God, one who has been resurrected from the dead, Amen. one who's been, who has defeated sin and death. And then we receive the Holy Spirit as we receive the free gift of salvation. And the Holy Spirit empowers us to live right, to plant that which is good so that we harvest that which is good. Oh, we have to walk in step with the Holy Spirit. We're not to grieve the Holy Spirit. But we're to walk in step. Remember, the Bible has given us everything we need to live a godly life. We have not because we've asked not. 
If you're not maturing, if you're not growing as a Christian, I keep telling us something is wrong. If your Christianity is the same as it was yesterday, a week ago, three weeks ago, 20 years ago, something is wrong. You ought to be growing. You ought to be maturing. You ought to be going deeper into the things of God. Not because you have to. Not because it's a burden. Because Jesus says His yoke is easy and His burden is light. His Word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. It is Him and in Him alone that we entrust ourselves to. Lead us, guide us, direct us, mold us, shape us, discipline us, O God. Do what is needed, God, that we stay on the path of righteousness for Your name's sake. Trusting in Him with our whole hearts. Loving Him with every part of us. This is the Christian life. This is how we are to be living. And it ought to be joyful. Even in the moments of deep confusion and sorrow, we can look up and we can trust in our God. That we recognize that this earth is not our home. This world has nothing for us and we shouldn't be clinging tightly to it. Let it go. Trust in God because at any day He can return. And how is He going to find you? Go to 1 Peter chapter 4. First Peter chapter 4. Verse 1 through 19. Living for God. Suffering for being a Christian. This is what the portion of this portion of scripture talks about. Don't miss this as we're thinking about what it is and what it means to sow to, to that which is right, to plant that which is good, so that we can harvest that which is good for our lives. So then. Since Christ suffered physical pain, you must arm yourself with the same attitude He had and be ready to suffer too. For if you have suffered physically for Christ, you have finished with sin. Look at verse 2. You won't spend the rest of your life lives chasing your own desires, but you will be anxious to do the will of God. You have had enough in the past of the evil things that godless people enjoy. Their immorality and lust, their feasting and drunkenness and wild parties, and their terrible worship of idols. Listen to this. This is how the lost lives, not Christians. And then he goes on, of course, your former friends are surprised when you no longer plunge into the flood of wild and destructive things they do. So they slander you. But remember that they will have to face God who stands ready to judge everyone, both the living and the dead. Oh, these verses are so important to grasp hold of, to meditate upon. You don't live like you used to live. And that's going to cause a divide, a division. Your old friends will look and think that something is wrong with you. They're going to slander you. 
You're not going to be welcomed any longer. Which is a good thing. Which is a good thing. Because you're not to continue to be yoked to the old self, to the old ways, to the old life. No, you've been set free. So live as one who has been set free among those who are still enslaved. And speak truth. Be bold. And like I said last week, being bold is not being rude. You're not called to be rude. You're called to be bold. But understand this, the gospel offends. It's going to offend them as it should have offended you. Oh, we got to wake up. It goes on here. Verse 6. That is why the good news was preached to those who are now dead. So although they were destined to die like all people, they now live forever with God in the Spirit. The end of the world is coming soon. Therefore, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. Most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other, for love covers a multitude of sins. Cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay. God has given each of you a gift from His great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God Himself were speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? Do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies. Then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. All glory and power to Him forever and ever. Amen. He has distributed gifts among us. How are you using your gifts? How are you stewarding and managing what He has given you? Because everything you do now is for His glory. Think upon that. Walk in that. Live in this knowledge and wisdom. Begin to grow in it. Begin to mature in it. Begin to freely give as you have freely received. Your life is not meant for you, for me, myself, and I any longer. It is meant for God. It is meant for others. That they may see the glory of God in and through your life. This is the Christian life. So, dear friends, verse 12, don't be surprised at fiery trials you are going through as if something strange were happening to you. Instead, be very glad, for these trials make you partners with Christ in His suffering so that you, so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing His glory when it is revealed to all the world. If you are insulted because you bear the name of Christ, you will be blessed for the glorious Spirit of God rests upon you. If you suffer, however, it must not be for murder, stealing, making trouble, or paying into other people's affairs, or prying into other people's affairs. But it, is to, but it is no shame to suffer for being a Christian. Praise God for the privilege of being called by His name. For a time, for the time has come for judgment. And it must begin with, the, with God's household. 
And if judgment begins with us, what terrible fate awaits those who have never obeyed God's good news? And also, if the righteous are barely saved, what will happen to godless sinners? So if you are suffering in a manner that pleases God, keep on doing what is right and trust your lives to God who created you, for He will never fail you. So you're suffering as a Christian. If you're suffering because of the works of Christ in your life, be patient with it. Keep suffering. Endure to the end. Don't withdraw. Don't go back to hang out with your former friends. Don't go back to to the sin that so easily entangled you. No, get up and move on. Suffer. But if you're suffering because of a bad attitude, because you're stealing, because you reaped it upon yourself or acting on selfish motives, then that's you. The suffering we are talking about is suffering for Christ's sakes. For being marked as His own. The world is going to hate you. You are not going to be accepted because He wasn't accepted. But that doesn't mean that you stop living like a Christian. That just means you just keep living. You just keep going You just keep moving on, trusting in God. Because He's coming back. He who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it. You must live for Christ. This is the hope that we have, you all, as His people. Those who are called according to His purpose. Called out of darkness and into His marvelous light. We are not to be like the world any longer when the word of God says that Jesus came into the world but the world didn't want to receive them him they were better off and pleased with the darkness within them than the light that has come into the world so come on we're not to live as people who are darkened any longer who are enslaved to sin any longer no we are the people of light We're the people of hope. We have been set apart for His purpose to bring glory and honor to our God. For we are His people. And how I pray that encourages, encourages you this day and throughout this upcoming week to be mindful of what you're planting. Be mindful of what you're putting your hands to. What are you putting your thoughts to? What are you allowing coming out of your mouth? What are you taking in through your ears? Because everything you do, you will harvest. And when you see an area of your life the Holy Spirit is revealing to you that is a concern, that is sin in your life, then don't withdraw. Don't give in. Persevere. Repent. Turn away from it. Remember, He disciplines those that He loves. So we don't allow the work of the Holy Spirit to turn into this weird thing that we just focus on ourselves. And I always say this, that now we have this weird pity party. Poor me, poor me, I'm not a good Christian. I can never live this life. And we just keep vomiting out junk because we're listening to the lies of the enemy. 
Oh, how can God love me anymore? Look how many times I failed. You need to get over yourself. Stop looking at yourself. Because the Word says that His love endures forever. <clears throat> and as if He is convicting your heart, He is yet again revealing Himself to you. That you would turn from your wickedness and turn to righteousness. That you would lay down the old rebellious self and you would get up and walk in the newness of life the fullness of life, the wholeness in life that is found only in Jesus. As He gives us the Holy Spirit to walk in it. To experience the fullness of life. I have come to give you life and life and the abundance, Jesus says. And oh, how we can need to walk in the abundant life. To learn what that means. To trust in Him. Go to Deuteronomy. Oh, that's we're opening up a new book of the Bible. And before we get in it, we're going to read chapter 1, verse 1 through 46. But I'm going to read our introduction. And then Carrie will include these notes in our notes so that you can go back. Deuteronomy 1. 1 through 46. But here's the introduction. And I would encourage you to go back through and read the introduction sometime this week. Because I know you're not going to hear and retain all the words I'm about to read. But I pray that the Holy Spirit gives us insight and the encouragement that comes from this book. We've closed out the book of Numbers. We've opened up to Deuteronomy. And now we see God's people right on the edge of the promised land, about to enter in. God is fulfilling His covenant with Abraham. Remember, God is faithful to what God has established. His plans. His purpose. He's not faithful to our plans and our purpose. He's faithful to His plans, to His purpose. To accomplish what He has already spoken a whole generation had to die off before these Israelites can move in because of their rebellion towards God. Their lack of faith. Always murmuring, complaining, and fault-finding. Idol-worshipping. Not trusting in God. A whole generation had to, had to die off. And now Moses will not be entering into the promised land. He will see it, but he is still leading this up a new generation. So Deuteronomy. Moses is the author of it, but Moses did not write the record of his own death. We will, we will come to Moses' death in chapter 34. This was likely written by Joshua or another leader empowered by God. The meaning of Deuteronomy, the word Deuteronomy means the second law. Moses was close to death, and these were his parting words to the people he had led for the past 40 years. The people stand on the threshold of a new future in the land of Canaan, and Moses exhorts them to love and obey the Lord in order to experience life in all its fullness. With good reason, Moses underlines the need for exclusive loyalty to God. 
warning of the danger imposed by the idolatrous practices of the nations already living in Canaan. Additionally, Moses sets out afresh the obligation of the Sinai covenant, reminding the people of how obedience will be bring blessing and disobedience will bring cursing. Remember, this is a whole new generation. They weren't there, the majority of them, when the Ten Commandments were given. The generation who was there, they've all died off. Now this upcoming generation knows of them, but now Moses in his parting words to them is reminding them throughout this book of what God has established for his people. Next to the books of Psalms and Isaiah, the New Testament alludes to Deuteronomy more than any other book in the Old Testament. This is true not only in terms of the sheer number of instances, but especially in the passages where theological truth seems most to be at issue. Jesus and the apostles consider Deuteronomy of a paramount importance to their own teaching about God and his dealings with his chosen people and humanity at large. Jesus, in his temptation, quoted the book of Deuteronomy three times against Satan, in Matthew chapter 4, verse 4 through 10. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, one of the pivotal verses for ancient and modern Judaism declares that God is one. There is no other God but Yahweh, the Lord. This is the creedal center of the law, issuing forth into the greatest commandment of love to love this God wholeheartedly. This belief is carried over into Christianity through numerous affirmations of Jesus and the apostles. So how can you grow through the book of Deuteronomy? There's three important themes in Deuteronomy that will apply to believers of all ages. The first one is choice. Human beings are made in the image of God. Part of His image that we reflect is the ability to make choices. God chooses, and those made in His image choose as well. And we are accountable for our choice. Deuteronomy sets forth Israel's responsibility to listen to God and to remember and not forget and then to choose life or death, obedience or disobedience, blessings or cursings. Covenant language always says, if, then. Even Jesus presented if, then propositions to his disciples. Deuteronomy makes us think about the choices we make and their implications. The second one, obedience. Deuteronomy adopts a treaty pattern commonly used in ancient Near Eastern kings in establishing relationships with their subjects. In this way, God spoke in terms that people could understand. A great king would remind people of what he had done for them, as God does in the early chapters of this book. Then the king would spell out what he required from the people. In this case, God's law from chapters 5 through 26. For the subject's obedience, the king would provide the promise of blessings, sustenance, and protection. But for disobedience, the king would promise dreadful punishment. Chapters 27 through 28. The words of Jesus bring to mind the message of Deuteronomy. So why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? From Luke chapter 6, verse 46. 
we will find that when the Hebrew text literally says, hearing the voice of the Lord, it is the same as saying, obeying the Lord. If we love Him, we will do what He commands. And then finally, standards. Deuteronomy reminds us that God is absolute truth and that a blessed life is one lived according to His standards. God is like a loving parent who puts protective parameters around his children's activities, knowing that within these boundaries they will be safe and fulfilled. Life without God's standards not only lacks holiness and wholesome, it becomes the opposite of holiness. It becomes anti-holy, characterized by emptiness and dissatisfaction. Far from being restrictive standards robbing people of pleasure, God's law is the root of of all real freedom, satisfaction, and peace. Oh, come on. This is good news, you all. So how can we see Christ in this book? Through types and prophecy. Deuteronomy also points to Christ. He is the Passover lamb, chapter 16, verse 1, and the coming prophet, chapter 18, verse 18. Moses, the founder of Israel's theocracy, mediated the Old Covenant. But Jesus Christ, the Son of God, mediated the New Covenant. Whereas the Old Covenant was written on tablets of stone, Christ writes the New Covenant through the Spirit of the living God on the tablets of human hearts. The Old Covenant called for shedding the blood of animals. The everlasting New Covenant was instituted once and for all by the blood of Christ. The Old Covenant calls for a heart religion, but it fell through human weakness and became obsolete after its fulfillment at Calvary. And then finally, I want to just read what Charles Spurgeon wrote regarding Deuteronomy. He says, Remembering the mercies of God in the past, we may rest assured concerning the present and the future. If we have wisely learned by experience We may, from our own failures in the past, gain wisdom that will enable us to avoid the evils that overcame us on former occasions. Though precious to us because of the spiritual experience we have enjoyed there, they are not to be our permanent place of abode. We have to journey onward and pitch our tent somewhere else. That we will learn you all from our seasons that we lived in error and rebellion, and sin. That we would see God's mercies, how He has refreshed us, how He has renewed us, how He has forgiven us and set us free. But we're not to just remain there, stuck there from in the past of what God has done. No, God has so much more for us. So let us continue to move on and to move forward into what God has. So, chapter 1 of Deuteronomy. These are the words that Moses spoke to all the people of Israel while they were in the wilderness east of the Jordan River. They were camped in the Jordan Valley near Shuf, between Paran and this other side of Tophel, Lebon, Hezrav, and Disrab on the other. Normally it takes only 11 days to travel from Mount Sinai to Kadesh Barnea, going the way of Mount Seir. 
But 40 years after the Israelites left Egypt, on the first day of the 11th month, Moses addressed the people of Israel, telling them everything the Lord had commanded him to say. This took place after he had defeated King Shihon of the Amorites, and who ruled in Heshbon, and at the Edri uh, had defeated King Og at, of Bashan, who ruled over Ashtoreth. While the Israelites were in the land of Moab, east of the Jordan River, Moses carefully explained the Lord's instructions as follows. When we were at Mount Sinai, the Lord our God said to us, You have stayed at this mountain long enough. It is time to break camp and move on. Go to the hill country of the Amorites and to all the neighboring regions, the Jordan Valley, the hill country, the western foothills, the Negev, and the coastal plains. Go to the land of the Canaanites and to Lebanon and, to, and all the way to the great Euphrates River. Look, I am giving all this land to you. Go in and occupy it, for it is the land the Lord swore to give your ancestors Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and to all of their descendants. Moses continued, At that time I told you, you are too great of a burden for me to carry all by myself. The Lord your God has increased your population, making you as numerous as the stars. And may the Lord, the God of your ancestors, multiply you a thousand times more and bless you as he has promised. But you are such a heavy load to carry. How can I deal with all your problems and bickering? Choose some well-respected men from each tribe who are known for their wisdom and understanding, and I will appoint them as your leader. Then you responded, your plan is a good one. So I took the wise and respected men you had selected from your tribes and appointed them to serve as judges and officials over you. Some were responsible for a thousand people, some for a hundred, some for fifty, and some for ten. At that time, I instructed the judges, you must hear the cases of your fellow Israelites and the foreigners living among you. Be perfectly fair in your decisions and impartial in your judgments. Hear the cases of those who are poor as well as those who are rich. Don't be afraid of anyone's anger, for the decision you make is God's decisions. decision. Bring me any cases that are too difficult for you, and I will handle them. At that time, I gave you instructions about everything you were to do. Then, just as the Lord our God commanded us, we left Mount Sinai and traveled through the great and terrifying wilderness, as you, as you yourselves remember, and headed toward the hill country of the Amorites. When we arrived at Kadesh Barnea, I said to you, you have now reached the hill country of the Amorites that the Lord your God is giving us. Look! He has placed the land in front of you. Go and occupy it as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, has promised you. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. God calls us to it, but we have to take it. Not in and of ourselves, but in His strength, in His power. Just as He called them to the promised land, they have to go in and occupy it. They have to step into it. They have to fight the battles. But again, not in their own strength, but in the strength of their God. He goes on, but all you came, but all you came to me and said, first 
Let's send out scouts to explore the land for us. They were advised, they will advise us on the best route to take and which towns we should enter. This seemed like a good idea to me, so I chose 12 scouts, one from each of your tribes. They headed for the hill country and came to the valley of Eshkol and explored it. They picked up some of its fruit and brought it back to us. And they reported, the land the Lord your God has given us is indeed a good land. But you rebelled against the command of the Lord your God and refused to go in. You complained in your tents and said, the Lord must hate us. That is why he has brought us here from Egypt to hand us over to the Amorites to be slaughtered. Where can we go? Our brothers have demoralized us with their report. They tell us the people of the land are taller and more powerful than we are, and their towns are large with walls rising high into the sky. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. But I said to you, don't be shocked or afraid of them. The Lord your God is going ahead of you. He will fight for you just as you saw him do in Egypt. And you saw how the Lord your God cared for you all along the way as you traveled through the wilderness, just as a father cares for his child. Now he has brought you to this place. And it's so important to understand you all. As it was for them, so it is for us. When God calls us out of our bondage, out of our Egypt, out of our sinful lifestyles, whatever marked it for you, and you step into the newness of life. Don't listen to the report of the naysayers. Don't listen to the report of the enemy. No, you believe in the report of the Lord. John Yamini, people who started out in Christ, The Holy Spirit's ministering, speaking to them, calling them out, and they take a few steps, and then they get scared. They get overwhelmed. The naysayers are speaking into their ears. And they turn back. And back to what? To emptiness, to loneliness. To a life that is not marked by God. Don't turn back. Don't believe the lies of those who aren't in Christ. Don't believe the lies of the enemy. He's bent for destruction. No, you to believe the report of the Lord. Some of us need to get up and just keep moving. Stop looking back. Stop being yoked to everyone and anything that defines you back there. Get up and move forward. But I'm scared. I don't know what to do. Get up and just take a step each and every single day, moment by moment, trusting in the Lord your God. You will suffer. The Christian life is not a life that is pleasing to the world or that you will find pleasure in this world. This world is not your home. But in the midst of it, You will find the peace and the wholeness and the joy and the comfort and the provision that is needed for each and every single day until you are called home. Don't listen to the naysayers. Moses was reminding this new generation of what took place. Verse 32 
But even after all he did, you refuse to trust the Lord your God, who goes before you looking for the best places to camp, guiding you with a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day. When the Lord heard your complaining, he became very angry. So he solemnly swore, not one of you from the wicked, this wicked generation will live to see the good land that I swore to give to your ancestors. Except for Caleb, he will see this land because he has followed the Lord completely. I will give him and his descendants some of the very land he explored during his scouting mission. And the Lord was also angry with me because of you, he said to me, Moses, not even you will enter the promised land. Instead, your ancestor Joshua, from son of Nun, of the son of Nun, will lead the people into the land. Encourage him, for he will lead Israel as they take possession of it. I will give the land to your little ones, your innocent children. You were afraid they would be captured, but they will be the ones who will occupy it. And as for you, turn around now and go back through the wilderness toward the Red Sea. Then you confess, we have sinned against the Lord. We will go into the land and fight for it <coughs> as the Lord our God has commanded us. So your men strapped on their weapons thinking it would be easy to attack the hill country. But the Lord told me to tell you, do not attack, for I am not with you. If you go ahead on your own, you will be crushed by your enemies. Oh, that's a huge line for us to take. If you try to live this new life in Christ in your own strength, you will be crushed by the enemy. Oh, I pray that we hear this. This life in Christ is not done in our own strength. It is a life yielded to the Holy Spirit. That's why you, you have to have spiritual disciplines in your life. You must grow as a believer. Prayer, fasting, worshiping, Bible study, fellowship. Grow deeper into the Word. Get rooted into Christ. Walk empowered by the Holy Spirit. Not living a life that grieves the Holy Spirit, but empowered by the Holy Spirit. The moment you get up to the moment you lay down. To be centered on Christ and Christ alone. You can't do it in your own strength. That's why Paul tells the church, what are you doing? For what you received in the Spirit, why are you now trying to live it out in your own strength? Why have you made it this religious works? That's not what Christ came to do. Are you trusting in Christ? Are you trusting in the Holy Spirit to see you through? Verse 43. This is what I told you. But you would not listen. Instead, you again rebelled against the Lord's command and arrogantly went into the land hill, into the hill country to fight. But the Amorites who lived there came out against you like a swarm of bees. They chased and battered you all the way from Seir of Roma. Then you returned and wept before the Lord. But he refused to listen. So you stayed there in Kadesh for a very long time. Come on, we got to know our God, you all. He's not a pansy God. 
He's not a God that we create in our own image. He's not a God that, that we want to, to, to serve us. No, He's God, and we are to serve Him. And our disobedience, it costs us something. It costs us something. It's not that God pulls Himself away. No, it's that we've pulled away. And in that, we must learn from our disobedience. So He allows it. Remember, there's no error found in God. He is just. He is right. If you walk in His ways, if you abide in Him, if you're planting that which is good, then that's the life that you will reap. That's the life that you will harvest. You're going to suffer. Times are going to be hard. There's going to be seasons where things go good. And there's going to be seasons where life is just battering you down. But He's still God. He's still right. He's still just. And He is still good. And you can still have the peace and the joy in all that God has for you. No matter the season that you're in. He will fight your battles. He will give you the strength that is needed. He will give you the provision that is needed. He will see you through. But if you're in disobedience, if you've turned back, you've listened to the lies of the naysayers, you're listening to people who aren't even in Christ and they're influencing your life, you're just taking what the enemy is handing you, you're just going your way, Things may look good for a season. But understand this. God is not pleased. And just because you think He is silent doesn't mean He's approving. Because as we know in the book of Psalms, He says, I'm coming after you. And I'm going to tear you apart. Oh, come on, we got to stop playing games. He's God. He's God. And that's why Jesus can say, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? We're to love the Lord our God, you all, with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our body, with all of our strength. He's God. Do you love Him? Do you know Him this day? Are you in Christ this day? Oh, how I pray you are. Oh, how I pray that you're growing. Oh, how I pray that you desire to, to grow deeper into Christ. To truly be challenged to, this year to mature and to grow and to know your God. To trust your God. He is for you and not against you. He is not going to force you to love Him. He is not going to force you to obey Him. You will reap what you sow. You will harvest what you plant. He has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light, so live as children of light. Learn of Him. Because as you learn of Him, you'll go with Him. As you know your God, so then shall you live. See Him for His greatness, for His goodness, for His love. He cares for His people. He's provided everything for them, as He has provided everything for us, and as He will continue to provide for His people for generations to generations 
generations until he returns. And even then, for eternity, he will be our God. And we will be his people. Go to Luke chapter 5, verse 29. Luke chapter 5, verse 29 through chapter 6, verse 11. Oh, praise God, you all. Luke 5, 29. And then chapter 6, verse 11. We pick up. Last week, Matthew, Levi, was called out from his old way of living as a tax collector and to the new life of a follower of Christ, a disciple of Christ. Remember, Matthew left everything. Later, Levi had held a banquet in his home with Jesus as a guest of honor. Many of Levi's fellow tax collectors and other guests also ate with them. But the Pharisees and, the te- and their teachers of religions, religious law complained bitterly to Jesus, to Jesus' disciples. Why do you eat and drink with such scum? And Jesus answered them, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. Very important that we understand this. Jesus knew the people who were around him. Jesus hung out with sinners. But Jesus did not lose his identity among them. And so many so-called Christians use this verse to excuse their sinful habits among their sinful friends. Yes, we are to hang out with sinners, but we're not to lose our identity in Christ among them. Jesus never once denied who he was. He continually offered the hope that would be found in him. To repent to turn from sin. This is the good news, you all. If you're given the opportunity, then go, but don't lose yourself. Don't lose the identity and who you are in Christ. But understand this. Not every place is going to accept your new identity. Remember the Christian life, even Jesus himself. He was not accepted everywhere and anywhere. Matthew's life was changed radically. And Matthew opened up his house so that others could see the God in whom he is serving. The the teacher in whom he has committed himself to. And they came. And the Pharisees, the religious men of the day, Again, had a knowledge of God, but they didn't know God. They complained. Look who he's among. Look who he's hanging out with. Look at these scum that are there. Instead of seeing the need that these people had to know God, they were refusing to give them the knowledge of God. They were above them. They were righteous. They were holy. Don't you look down on sinners. 
don't make yourself and puff yourself up to think you're better than anyone because you're a Christian. That is not the Christian life. And that's unfortunately what has happened a lot in churches. We look down on others. We see them for the filth and the scum that they are. And these are the words that we speak and we keep them out instead of being among them and bringing them in. The church doors are open for sinners to come. But the gospel must be preached even though it offends them in hopes that they would come to Christ. You don't start turning your services and, 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 your, and your time with them, cheapening grace, stripping Jesus of, of His divinity, making it easy for them. That's not what you do. You don't lose your identity. Jesus didn't once lose His identity when He was among the sinners. He preached the gospel. He preached of the kingdom of God. He preached repentance. And they were still drawn because they were sick people. They weren't people who thought they had it all together. And Jesus himself says, I didn't come for those who think they are healthy. <laughs> no, I came for the sick. And look, Jesus said that to the Pharisees in front of everyone that was sitting around them. They need me. They're sick. Ah, oh, come on. People need Jesus, you all. And if you've been delivered, you've been set free, you are a Christian, then you are to live as such as Jesus lived. I had a talk with one of my friends yesterday, this young man that him and I have bonded. He, he's not a Christian yet. <laughs> I'm believing he's coming. Because he's hungry for the things of God. And yesterday he had just bold questions for me. Yesterday he, he, he wanted to know, like, tell me what I need to do. He wanted to know about, well, aren't these people saved? And it would have been easy for me just to say, yeah, 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 whatever, whatever. And just kind of, you know, go along with what he was saying. But I had to tell him the truth. And it's never easy. But you have to tell people the truth. And he always tells me, oh, we're going to, you and I are going to start a podcast. <laughs> because I like the way that you share with me. You help me understand. I'm almost there. It's so many questions. And people do. They have so many questions. And sometimes it's crazy talk. But we must listen. We must allow them to share. I don't have to beat him over the head. I don't have to yell at him. I don't have to demand of him to accept Christ. No, I just need to listen. You just need to listen. I'm not losing myself and, and, and just going along with him. No, he knows the standard in which I live. He knows the God in whom I believe. He's sick. He needs Jesus. And I don't think I'm better than him. Come on, you all. 
your life should be impacting others. To get out there and to have spiritual conversations. To listen to others. To love others. But if you're looking down on others, if you're judging them by the way they're living and how they're acting and what they're doing, you're a pious religious person and most likely you're not even in Christ. Because Christ wouldn't act that way. If you're pulling yourself up and you're better than, and you see everyone else's faults and errors, you see their sin, you can't even, it disgusts you even to be look, look, look at them, there's something is wrong with you. Especially if you're calling yourself a Christian. Because that's not what Christ would do. Now, once they reject Christ, once they reject you, once they've set that boundary, then get up and move on. Get up and move on. But as you see the door open, sit with them, dine with them, speak with them, hang out with them, encourage them, pray for them, serve them, love them. Let them see Christ in you, let them see a living testimony. Being lived out in front of them. Yes, they're going to be offended by you. Yes, they may slander you. Yes, they may do whatever. But if the door is still open, keep loving, keep serving. (laughs) But once they reject and they push back, then move on. Shake the dust off your feet and move on. Come on, we got to live for Jesus, you all. There's work to be done. We have to preach the gospel. We have to serve others as we're serving Christ. And Jesus knew who he was. And he knew how the religious people were responding, and he called them out. One day, some people said to Jesus, John the Baptist's disciples fast and pray regularly. And so do the disciples of the Pharisees. Why are your disciples always eating and drinking? And Jesus responded, Do wedding guests fast while celebrating with the groom? Of course not. But someday the groom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. Then Jesus gave them this illustration. No one tears a piece of cloth from a new garment and uses it to patch an old garment. For then the new garment would be ruined, and the new patch wouldn't even match the old garment. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, For the new wine will burst the wineskins, spilling the wine and ruining the skins. New wine must be stored in new wineskins. But no one who drinks the old wine seems to want the new wine. This old, (coughs) the old is just fine, they say. Oh, what a lesson there. What a lesson. Jesus is yet again revealing himself. His purpose, His plan. The new covenant that's going to come forth. Because of what He's about to accomplish on the cross. The old covenant, those who are bound by religion, is not, are not going to receive this newness. Their hearts are hardened. They're enslaved to the law. It's me, it's about me, it's about me. Look how pious I am. Look at all the rules that I keep. Look how holy I am. Because I stay away from this. I don't touch this. I don't do this. And all of a sudden, it's all about the law that men are fulfilling and keeping. 
Jesus said His disciples are among the groom. (laughs) This is a feast. I am with them. There's no need for them to be sad. No, I'm with them. We will feast. But there's a day coming when I won't be with them. And they'll fast. Chapter 6, on the Sabbath day as Jesus was walking through some grain fields, his disciples broke off heads of grain, rubbed off the husk in their hands, and ate the grain. But some of the Pharisees said, Why are they breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath? And Jesus replied, Haven't you read in the Scriptures? And that's huge, this line that he just said to them. Because again, these men thought they had it all together. They knew Scripture back and forth. And Jesus is yet again exposing them for their ignorance. Haven't you read in the Scriptures what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He went into the house of God and broke the law by eating the sacred loaves of bread that only the priests can eat. He also gave some to his companions. And Jesus added, The Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. It's huge. (laughs) On another Sabbath day, a man with a deformed right hand was in a synagogue while Jesus was teaching. The teachers of the religious law of the Pharisees watched Jesus closely. If he healed the man's hand, they planned to accuse him of working on the Sabbath. But Jesus knew their thoughts. He said to the man with the deformed hand, Come and stand in front of everyone. So the man came forward. Then Jesus said to his critics, I have a question for you. Does the law permit good deeds on the Sabbath? Or is it a day for doing evil? Is this a day to save life or to destroy it? He looked around at them one by one. And then he said to the man, Hold out your hand. So the man held out his hand, and it was restored. At this, the enemies of Jesus were wild with rage and began to discuss what to do with him. Come on, you all. Jesus exposing the religious hearts of men. As he did then, so he does today. He is the Lord of the Sabbath. These men have taken the Sabbath, and they've they've yoked it and made it a burden for the people of God. And Jesus was letting him know, letting them know truly what the Sabbath was for. Oh, do we know our God? Are we striving to be good in and of our own strength? Are we striving to be religious? Because we're going to fail. We're going to be left empty. Do you have any people who are sitting in churches today who are striving so hard and tormented by the sin that is so easily entangling them, and sitting there as if they got it all together. But when they go home, they've got to wrestle with the demons that are running their lives by the choices that they're making. And somehow they think they've got it all together because they keep a holy day, or because they don't eat this and they don't touch that. Are they in church every moment and every day that the doors are open? And they can preach this and they can preach that and they know Genesis through Revelation. But yet they don't know God. They're not in right fellowship with God. Come on, you all. Know your God. Live for your God. 
He exposes the religion in our hearts. And it is easy for all of us to get caught up in it. And many seasons I've been a slave to it. We must watch out for it. We must test every spirit. We must seek that which is of God. We must know our God. We must allow the Holy Spirit to have His way in us. To bring convictions. To draw us closer to Jesus. So we're not being swept away by, the, by religious laws or activities. Are you free? Because He who the Son sets free is free indeed. Don't get entangled again. Don't yoke yourself up again with slavery and with bondage. No, be in right relationship with your God. Go to Psalm chapter 66, or Psalm 66. As I was speaking to my friend yesterday, he kind of confirmed what I think I was saying on Wednesday night. How there, I believe that there's a great awakening taking place. And even, even the lost are sensing something is on the horizon. And that was coming out of his mouth. I said, my God, it's like he was sitting there on Wednesday night. He was saying, like, yeah, I'm seeing, like, I know there's something deep within me. Like, something's upcoming. I mean, they, people are, there's an awakening taking place. Just as much as I've been encouraged with an understanding that deception is rising up. But just as much as the enemy is working overtime, truth <coughs> is rising up at a greater level. Darkness cannot distinguish light. So no matter how much deception is rising up, perversion is rising up, murder and strife and jealousy and envy is rising up, backbiting, gossiping, and all the other junk that we can yoke ourselves to is increasing Truth is rising. Truth is established. The light is shining and people are looking. Come on. Be ready to share. Be ready. God is at work. And we need to be effective harvesters in the harvest field. The harvest is right, but the laborers are few. It's not you. It's all of Him. We're called to plant the seed, to water the seed. The Holy Spirit will harvest it. We can't harvest. We can't change people's hearts towards God. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. All we can do is do what He's called us to do. Plant the seed, water the seed, and believe and to pray. Oh, that we would see that the harvest fields are ripe. That we will know our God. Psalm 66. Shout joyful praises to God, all the earth. Sing about the glory of His name. Tell the world how glorious He is. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. Your enemies cringe before your mighty power. Everything on earth will worship you. They will sing your praises, shouting your name in glorious songs. 
Come and see what our God has done. What awesome miracles He performs for people. He made a dry path through the Red Sea. And His people went across on foot. They will, they, they, there we, we rejoiced in Him. For by His great power He rules forever. He watches every moment of the nations. Let no rebel rise in defiance. Let the whole world bless our God and loudly sing His praises. Our lives are in His hands, and He keeps our feet from stumbling. You have tested us, O God. You have purified us like silver. You've captured us in your net and laid the burden of slavery on our backs. Then you put a leader over us. We went through the fire and the flood, but you brought us to the place of great abundance. Now I come to your temple with burnt offerings to fulfill the vows I made to you. Yes, the sacred vows that I made when I was in deep trouble. This is why I am sacrificing burnt offerings to you. The best of my rams as a pleasing aroma and a sacrifice of bulls and male goats. Come and listen, all of you who fear God, and I will tell you what he did for me. For I cried out to him for help, praising him as I spoke. If I had not confessed the sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But God did listen. He paid attention to my prayer. Praise God who did not ignore my prayer or withdraw His unfailing love from me. Ah, this is our God, you all. The goodness of our God. His love endures forever. He calls us to a place of repentance Tell others of what God has done for you. Listen to what the psalmist is saying here. Listen to how he concluded his song. Speak of the testimony that God has done in your life. Share what God is doing in and through your life today. It's good to talk about the past, but what is God doing today? He's not done with us. He's not done with us. He brings us through. He sees us through. He's faithful to the work He's begun in us. He's faithful for what He has established. Come and see what our God has done. He reminds them of how how God moved back then. How, they, how He has brought them through. He tells of His own personal testimony. He's given glory to God, you all. And that is how we're called to live. As we keep looking up to our God. Go to Proverbs chapter 11. Three nuggets of wisdom. Proverbs 11, verse 14, I'm sorry, verse 24 through 26. Oh, how we need to hear this in the times in which we are living. Give freely and become more wealthy. Be stingy and lose everything. The generous will prosper. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. People curse those who hoard their grain, but they bless the one who sells it in time of need. 
We're to be givers, you all. We're not to hoard. <laughs> We're not to be stingy. We are to freely give. We're to be good stewards of all that He has given us as we manage the resources that He's given us. You should be given into the kingdom. You should be sowing into the kingdom. You don't need the pastor or the church to, to get up and try to provoke you and entice you to give, to emotionally play with your emotions. No, the Lord expects you to be a cheerful giver. The Lord expects you to give, for it then shall be given. Come on, it's a kingdom principle. It's just a part of your growth as a Christian. You don't hoard things. You don't keep them because you're afraid of what tomorrow's going to bring. No, you freely give what you've prayed to the Lord about and what you should give. And trust in the Lord. Don't give and then quake in your boots because you should have never gave. You give out of a cheerful heart. You understand the principles of what's being laid out in His Word. This is the nugget of wisdom. These three nuggets. Be a good, cheerful giver. Give. Refresh others. I love that verse there. And then you will be refreshed. So many times we don't think, well, I can't do, I can't serve, I I can't this and I can't that. Because we just see all of our problems. You want to be refreshed? Refresh others. <laughs> see, this Christian life is opposite than the way that the world lives. That's how we should be learning and growing as a Christian. We live opposite of how we used to live, how we used to think, what the world is doing. Because this earth is not our home, this world is not our home. Right. We are children of the living God. And if God is for us, then who can be against us? So my prayer is that hope would be restored in our lives as we still continue to live in these crazy days and this crazy time. But we understand the signs of the time. And so I pray that as a church that we would truly seek Him, knowing that we would truly find Him if we seek Him with our whole heart. So I'm going to close this with this last song, and then I'll close this in prayer.
heart is asking, what do I do now? Just when you think you can't get worse, hold on, that's when hope returns.